Man, that was awesome hearing you guys sing. You guys are all right. That was pretty cool. Hey, let's give it up for these guys. Hasn't been great. This has been awesome. Really cool. Uh, man, so cool to just get a bunch of guys in a room singing. Even that goodness of God song. I've like heard like women lead that song. It sounds so different. It's like, it's, uh, that was awesome just to hear a bunch of guys singing it. So you guys been having a good weekend? Yeah. Yeah. Man, everybody's so positive. This is awesome. Cool. I'm going to beat you up again, so get your Bibles out. Uh, you know what? We've been, uh, been kind of, I don't know, I was feeling this afternoon like, oh, okay, last night it was like, okay, you guys better be strong and courageous. Stop being a bunch of wimps, you know. And yeah, and then this morning, you know, uh, we did that Captain Mary thing, you know, last night. And then, you know, this morning we had the... Uh, the quote kind of just really talking about not taking the easy way out and just kind of, I don't know, just really hanging in there. Uh, yeah, no man can win every battle. No man should fail without, fall without a struggle. And we just talked about struggles and doing hard things. So I actually, like this afternoon, started to like kind of just soften things up for tonight a bit. Yeah, well, good, because it came back around about an hour later. I was like, you know what? I feel like I'm beating him. I'm like, hey, you got to do hard things, and life's going to be a battle. It's going to be really hard, and be strong and courageous. Like, dude, dude, And then I'm like, you know what, though? These guys are taking it. So I'm just going to dish it out tonight. Maybe we'll come with a softball tomorrow morning on the way out. But tonight, I know you guys have been taking it. There's been things you're hopefully going to be taking back. And, and here's the good news. Uh, I got a Superman quote tonight. So here's the good news. You're much stronger than you think you are. Trust me. And when I say you, I don't mean you. But he who lives in you, and we're going to talk about that tonight, that we can hear this list of things that we've been talking about. And she goes, oh, i got to be strong, i got to be courageous. I can't live by my feelings. And this huge old list. But here's the thing I'm going to tell you tonight. You can't do it all. But you're stronger than you think you are. And we're going to talk about that Tonight, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid. You hear that? The spirit God gave us does not make us timid. We may feel timid, but not through what God gave us. But it gives us power, love, and self-discipline. You're more powerful, you're stronger than you think you are because of he who is living within you. And I read that verse and I go, okay, we're talking about the superhero thing. We're kind of just talking about coming off this year of this fear and trying to get back in and really lead our family strong and to step up and to do these things. And I read this verse and it gives me courage because God doesn't give me the timidity that I feel, but he gives us power and he gives us love. And he gives us self-discipline, the tools that we need. God doesn't ask us to do things that he doesn't equip us to do. And I look at those words and I go, power, yeah, I want that. I want to be able to have the power that I need to do what I need to do. And certainly I need love, and that love isn't going to come from me. It's going to come from God and his love living through me. And the only way that we can love others and the only way that we can live in power is through him. And those words are positive. And then Timothy, Paul throws to Timothy this word at the end and says, and of self-discipline. I don't like that. I want power and I want love, but how many of you guys love self-discipline? Oh, give me some more of that self-discipline. Right? We read this in here and we often skip over it. God doesn't make us timid. He gives you power and love and self-discipline. Because ultimately what we're talking about this week takes self-discipline to walk away from here and actually make change. Otherwise, I'm just kind of yelling a bunch of words, right? Self-discipline is hard. 
You know, it's easy when we use the word discipline with somebody else, but when you put the word self in, that word takes on a whole new meaning. It's easy when you have kids, like, well, God discipline them when they do something wrong. But self-discipline, who wants to inflict pain upon themselves? It's crazy, right? Turn to Titus real quick. Titus chapter 2. It's uh, towards the end of your Bibles, by the way, Titus. Uh, it's kind of by the other T, by Timothy, all that kind of stuff. Um, actually, I'm just going to read off here. For, Titus chapter 2, verse 11 says this. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. I understand the first part. Grace of God has appeared, offers salvation to all people. And we're going to talk about that a little bit as we go tonight. I understand that. God's grace, salvation. We've heard that in church. And it teaches us to say no. We, isn't that weird that we have to learn how to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, that it doesn't come naturally. But we have to teach ourselves to say no. Do you ever do that where even almost out loud you have to tell yourself no? That, that we get an idea or a thought in our head and we fester on it and marinate on it for a while, and then pretty soon we just have to slap ourselves and go, what in the world am I thinking? Right, like even, uh, you know, the, the church, uh, you know, certain churches practice that Lent thing in the spring and leading up to the, you know, uh, to Easter and the resurrection and all that. And they do that because part of it is like, I'm going to say no to something for a time period. And there are things in our life that we say no to all the time that, that make us healthy people, doesn't it? I've, I've tried Lent a few times. I don't particularly like it because <laughs> it's self-discipline, right? You know, one year I did chocolate, one year I did caffeine, you know, just like caffeine thing. Whew, don't recommend that. That was rough. But it taught me something about myself, right? But you know what? The consequences of not learning to say no as men are, they're everything. Broken marriages, adultery, addictions, greed, corruption, a life of regret often come when we don't know how to say no. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 to 27. He says, you know in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. And this is what I love. He says, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. He says, I have to make my own body subject to myself. Otherwise, it's called living out of control. Anybody ever done that before? When we just listen, it's called hedonism. It's just living for ourselves and it's living for our pleasures. And when we do that, we're out of control people. And unfortunately, we live in a world where there's a lot of out of control people that don't understand what Paul is talking about here. And so it's good to get in the practice of saying no because the consequences are so great when we say yes to the wrong thing or the wrong person at the wrong time. And maybe some of your heads are nodding because a bit of your testimony is a yes when it should have been a no in the past. And I know it sounds negative, but the consequences are so big. 
you know, we've all done hard things before. And, you know, you can use this illustration. You can talk about diets, but that's kind of bad because all we did was eat all day. So I won't make you feel guilty in that. I did uh, compete in triathlons for a year, which is pretty dumb. You just go run, bike, and swim till you almost die, and they give you a medal. Yay! And so I did that for a number of years. But I remember, you know, one of the things that I enjoyed about it was I remember like I'd be, and you swim, and then you hop on the bike, and I'd be like halfway through the bike or almost done. And I'd go, I gotta get off and run? And I would just hate it, and I would hate it, and I would hate it, but I'd just tell my body to keep pedaling, to keep pedaling. By the time I'd you know, get to the run, the first half of the run just kind of stinks, and by the end of it, you finish. And I remember, though, you finish it, and you get to the end, and you sign up for another race. <laughs> because you teach yourself to say no to quitting. And when we do that, it runs into all sorts of areas of our life. And so I'd ask you today, what things in your life are out of control? What are things in your life that you need to start saying no to? Thank you. Because here's the result. Paul says it right here, that I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. How many of you know somebody in the church world, maybe in the ministry world, maybe a pastor that said yes when they should have said no and they disqualified themselves from the race. You know, it's a scary thing to think about. There's grace and there's mercy and there's forgiveness. But I'm one yes decision from never being able to stand on the stage and preach the word of God again. It's the way it goes. The stakes are high. I'm not saying I'm perfect. That's for sure. None of us in here are. But we all know people that said yes when we probably should have said no, and it messed up a whole bunch of things. The stakes are high. Remember, my daughter was swimming when she was young, and she'd always get disqualified on the breaststroke because she'd, like, kick her legs wrong or something. And, like, there's nothing worse than, like, some, like, seven-year-old girl getting out of the pool, and the referee goes, like, you're disqualified. I almost wanted to punch him once, you know? I'm just like, hey, come on. She's so cute when she does a little breaststroke, you know? Being dis- Nobody wants to be disqualified. But Paul says at the end, like, I'm running this race, and the stakes are high. God had led Paul to go on these missionary journeys and to plant churches, and we're here today because of much of the work that him and the early apostles did. And so he says, man, I don't want to blow it. I don't want to say yes when I should be saying no at one particular time, and I don't want to be disqualified. And here's the thing. We say yes sometimes to little things, but sometimes those things lead to other things. I don't know if you ever knows that. You know, and, and sure, it's in, you know, impurity. If you can't say no to looking at things on your computer that you shouldn't be looking at, then maybe someday you're not going to be able to say no when that woman's there at the wrong time and all the things are there and you want to be faithful to your wife, but you've practiced telling yourself yes to your pleasures over and over and over again. And so we can think we're going to compartmentalize our life. And we can say yes, oh, but I'm fine. I, you know what some of the scariest words are we can ever say is I can handle it. Because we can't. I remember when I was in premarital counseling, and my wife and I went, and before we got married, and we were just, just pups, we were young, and, and he looked at us and he said, uh, I want for you to each look at each other in the eyes and say, I can fail you. I could cheat on you. And I'm like, it's kind of bad timing. We're about to get married here, bro. But the moment we go into it and think we can handle it is the moment we can't handle it. 
If you can't say no to a little, how are you going to be able to say no to a lot? And you know where it starts? It starts right here. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Do you take captive your thoughts? you ever thought about that literally? 2 Corinthians 10.5. It's one of my favorite passages because, man, thoughts are just where it all starts sometimes, right? That If we can just say no to the thought, then the action doesn't even come up later. You ever notice that? But how many of you are captive by your thoughts? That you run things over and over again in your head, some sort of fantasy. It may be just a drive for more. It may be excessive materialism. It may be some sort of selfish thing. It may be some sort of impurity, whatever it is, and it takes hold of your life. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, Paul challenges us to take our thoughts captive and make it obedient to Christ. And if you want a bigger challenge, you go over to Philippians 4.8, and that tells you what to think about. And man, if that tells you what to think about, I don't even know what I'm going to think about. Because it says, finally, brothers, whatever's true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So the way I've always looked at it in my life is what I got to do when those thoughts come in is I take it captive and then I Philippians 4, 8 it. And I look at that list and I go, hey, is this thought kind of go in with this thing here? I'd say there's a lot of thoughts in my life that just don't pass the test. Because that's where so much of it comes. Our character so often a direct result of what is taking place in our lives. And we've been talking a lot about feelings. But I think the feelings come first from the thoughts. And there's a saying that goes this way, wrong wrong thinking leads to wrong feelings and wrong feelings lead to wrong actions. Let me say that again. Wrong thinking leads to wrong feelings and wrong feelings lead to wrong actions. Sometimes we're out of control, not just with things in our mind, but there's things that we got to say no to in our life, like even just our time. What do we spend our time on and our stuff and so many different things? James 4.14 says, Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Self-discipline even comes in our life and in our time and the things that are important. And we've talked about that through Clayton. We talked about that through Dan and some of these different people that we would get to our lives and say, Man, did we waste a moment. And sometimes, like, we need to say no to some things and make some right priorities. Our families, our friends, the people that need us, our community, some things we're going to be talking about tomorrow morning as we're sent out. Your churches need you to serve. Your community needs you to step up and serve. There are resources. There's money. There's different things. But sometimes we say no to nothing, and so we have no margin in our life left over to give anything to anybody else because we suck it all in for ourselves. You ever been there? I know I certainly have. It takes discipline. First Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. But God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. We talk about saying no, and we talk about saying no to temptation. It brings me back to that Superman quote that you're more powerful than you think, not because of your own doing, but because of him. First Corinthians 10.13 promises us, 
that we can have the self-discipline, that God will provide a way out. I think there's this, I don't know, this generation rising up that it's almost like you just got to throw in the towel. Well, it's tough. Sexual purity, it's hard. These things are tough and like, it's almost impossible. And we give up and we give up for our kids and we lower our standards. Or we take truth. And we have to say no to lies in this world. And oh my gosh, there's a lot of lies coming in this world, isn't there? And we have to be able to stand on the truth. And in order to say yes to the truth, sometimes we have to say no to the lies. And we have to let our families know. And we have to let our churches know. The truth is truth. And what God says is truth. And we're trying to, you know, truth is becoming so relative, as they say. And there's all these different directions and things. And everything's coming our way constantly. And we have to be able to take a stand, be able to say no, and just stand up and say, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. Not based off what you th- think, not based off your feelings, but the Word of God. Oh, that's just culture, man. It was just different back then and all these different things. It's like, man, if we just start bending this thing around and making it a giant Gumby to fit our lives, like, man, then we're all headed in a different direction. I mentioned the first night that we, you know, we... we um, and I'm a pilot and I fly, and so one of the things, like if I'm in instrument things and, a t- you know, tower's controlling and they're telling me where to go and they say, I need to head, you know, left to 280. They say 280 and there's 360 degrees. Guess where I got to go in order to not run into somebody or a mountain or whatever it is? I got to go to 280. I can't just go, you know, come up with my own direction. He doesn't just say, oh, head over towards the north. Head over towards northwest. There's exact degrees, and I think like so many times in our life right now, we're just, we're hearing these different things, and we're taking the Bible and trying to say, yeah, it's kind of guiding me over here. It's like, man, when you're in the Word, like there is truth and direction and instructions for life that are in this book that are contrary to the way the world is going in so many different ways, and we have to take a stand on that, and we have to say no to the lies that the enemy is pitching out there. And man, for those of you dads that have kids at home, Man, my kids are 19 and 20, and I know I sound like the old guy in the room to just go like, man, it's getting rough out there. But gosh, it's getting rough out there, isn't it? And we got to say no to those things. We have to take a stand. And we have to practice saying no. Jason uh, read a verse this morning. Jason King read a verse this morning out of Hebrews chapter 12. And this is kind of where I want to land for a bit here. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Again, we've been talking for three chapels now about things we're supposed to do and things we're not supposed to do. And that can be a bit overwhelming. And so I just want to close tonight, or I'm not closing quite yet, but as we head towards closing, I want to simplify it a bit for you and talk about Jesus. See, Jesus modeled to us, and it talks about it even in the Scripture and even elsewhere in Hebrews, that there's not something that we're going through that he doesn't know what we're going through. That's what's so cool. He's not this God that's always been on the throne. Remember, he stepped down, John 1, 14, and became flesh and dwelt amongst us. 
and he was without sin. But he went through all the same things that we did. Sure, it was a couple thousand years ago. It was across an ocean. It was in a different place. But he lived in the world in the flesh. He was God in the flesh. And so by doing that, number one, he modeled this whole self-discipline thing and self-control thing, didn't he? His whole entire life. And so for 33 years, he lives this perfect life. You know, for a few years, he gets a ministry and he calls his disciples and he's leading them and he's teaching them and all those different things. And if you've been around the church for a while, you probably know what happens, that religious leaders didn't like it. They didn't like this guy claimed to be the Messiah. They didn't like things like recorded in John 14, 6, where he says, I am the way, the truth, the life, and nobody comes to the Father but through me. He was claiming to be deity. He was claiming to be king. And so the religious leaders didn't like it. They got together with the political and government leaders, and so they had him arrested. The only perfect man to ever live and walk the face of the earth gets arrested and sentenced to death. And at the end of Jesus' life, after he gets arrested, and he's going to the cross, he says no to a lot of things on his way to the cross. Because he knows that what he's about to do on that cross is the ultimate act of self-discipline to take punishment for me and for you. Because here's the deal. We could talk all weekend about things we're supposed to do and not supposed to do. We need to be strong. We need to be courageous. We need to give of ourselves. We need to do all these different things. But here's the problem. Ain't nobody in this room good enough for that. Ain't nobody in the world good enough for that but one. And that is Jesus Christ, the perfect, spotless lamb, the ultimate sacrifice that ends up going to the cross. And you see, when Jesus goes to the cross, he says no to guilt and shame and punishment and judgment and everything that is to be brought upon us because of what we have done. And ultimately, he says no to death as he dies on the cross and as we celebrated a couple weeks ago, is put in a tomb and three days later conquers death. And he says no to the enemy of this world for you and for me so that we can have a relationship with our Father. How, why did he do that? And, and as I think about those last moments and I think about Jesus' journey to the cross, I think we think about all these things that we've been talking about all weekend and go, man, it just sounds like a lot of work. It sounds like a lot of stuff, and I don't think I have it in me. And yet in that passage in Hebrews 12 too, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And I think, what is joyful about the cross? There's nothing joyful about the cross, but there's everything joyful about bringing us into a right relationship with our heavenly Father that we've been estranged from because of what we've done, not because of what he's done. That bring, brought Jesus joy. It brought Jesus the self-discipline and the motivation and the determination to march towards the cross after they whipped him, put a crown of thorns on his head, slammed a torture symbol of a cross on his back, and made him walk up there. He did that for the joy set before him so that one day we can be with him and his Father in eternity forever where there's no more crying, no more shame, no more guilt, no more pain. That's what led him there. And so many times we get focused on the here and now and what's taking place, and we don't see the end. In the middle of those races that I would do, I had to think about how good it was going to feel when I was done. And for the joy set before us, 
we can have a right relationship with our Heavenly Father. You see, Philippians chapter 2 says that being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, even Jesus had to practice this obedience stuff that we were saying. And you may say, well, wait, I thought it was love that drove Jesus to the cross. Sure, Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his own love for this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Love drove Jesus to the cross, absolutely. But love and obedience go hand in hand. Sometimes we think it's all love over here, and then we can go do whatever the heck we want. But last I checked, one of the biggest ways that we can exhibit love is through obedience. It's through kindness. It's through self-sacrificing of ourselves. It's through self-discipline. I can tell my wife I love her a million times, but it's when I do something about it that it shows that love. You see, right before Jesus goes when he was arrested in Matthew 26, 39, Jesus fell on his face and he prayed saying, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He was submitting his will to the father. He was saying no to his fleshly desires at that moment because guess what? He was in the flesh and it didn't feel good. So Jesus said, deny yourselves, pick up your cross daily and follow me. Ultimately, you you may be hearing this weekend that there's a lot of things you have to do. But I just want to boil it down to one thing. It's saying no to self and yes to Jesus. No to self, to deny yourself, to pick up your cross and to follow him. That sums it up because here's something I've learned in my life. I'm a to-do list guy. I'm a to-do list guy at work. I'm a to-do list guy in everything I do in ministry and in family, and I got to make out a big list. And here's the thing. The list is always there. It's always too long, and I never get it all done. But when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, he transforms your life. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be renewed, Right? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you take away one thing this weekend, it's this. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and you've been realizing you've got to leave here and fix a whole lot of things, don't go fix a lot of things. Don't go back there with a long to-do list. Don't go back there and just think, in my own strength and in my own courage, I can do this. If there's one thing you can do this weekend, it's this. Bow your knee before the king of the universe, Jesus Christ, who died for you and wants a relationship with you and wants for you to have a relationship with your heavenly father. And you do that. And just as Ian was talking about earlier, then you hold your hands out and you say, God, I'm yours. It's surrender. And I'm telling you, that ain't no easy thing. I think in the church world, we sometimes kind of pitch a little slow pitch on that thing and just go, yeah, we just kind of like, yeah, Jesus, woo. I'll add him on with everything else. Hop on the bus, Jesus. There's a seat for you in the back. Surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, as we've been talking about all weekend, it means there's probably going to be more persecution. There could be more pain. It's not going to be easiest, but it's going to be best. You can't go fix all these things, I promise you. But he can. And by surrendering to him and allowing for him to be the king and lord of your life, 
You're saying, God, have your way with me. May your will be done. May your will be done. It's in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus prays it on earth as it is in heaven. And I'll tell you what. Whatever's going on in heaven, I want some of that here. (laughs) And I can't bring it here. But he already came here. Heaven came down. And over and over again in the New Testament, and as the writers write, it's so clear that God loves us so much that there's nothing he'd rather have for our life than to surrender to him. Not only so we can have a relationship when we die, but so that we can have a relationship with him on this earth and that he can transform our life and that we can become more like his son, Jesus Christ. And as I look at the life of Jesus, I want some of that. I want more love in my life. I want more power in my life. I want more self-discipline in my life. I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better boss. I want to be a better, you know, you name it. You fill in the blank. I want that. And I can't do it. But he can. So let me ask you this. As I'm talking about this tonight, is imagine a room this size, there's maybe some of you that have never got on your knees and surrendered. Uh, we can, you know, some of us, are, we got any stubborn people in here? I don't know, am I the only one? <laughs> Stubborn's hard to fix, guys. Here's the, th- the other thing that was modeled by Jesus Christ, was humility. In Philippians chapter 2, it says, he humbled himself, became a man, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Sometimes for guys, it's, it's hard to be humble, because we're the best, right, guys? <laughs> we can catch big fish. We can throw the football farther than anybody else. We're guys. We can do it, right? We can certainly pack in more meat than anybody should in a year. Found that out today. (laughs) But there's some people who just hang on, and you fight, and you say, I'm going to try it myself. But guess what? How's it been working out for you? How's it been working out? I got a real close person going through addiction problems right now. And she... uh, She just won't hold out her hand. She won't surrender. She keeps going back into it, back into it. Maybe some of you here before you, maybe you know exactly what I'm talking about. Been an addiction problem and you've tried it on your own. You've tried it on your own. You've tried it on your own. But that first step, it's it's not a man-made step. The first step, you got to admit there's something wrong. You got to admit you can't do it on your own. And so this year, Fisherman's Retreat, my prayer is, if that's you and you've been fighting on your own, you've been trying to do it on your own, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ before, that tonight maybe be a night where you would do that for the first time. So you just surrender. It's a vulnerable place to be with your hands up and surrender. You lay your weapons down. And you surrender. You know, at the end of those movies, when the bad guys ask the good guys to do it, or the good guys ask them, they do that, you're like, oh, it's so vulnerable. I don't have my weapons. I can't fight on my own anymore. But when you surrender before Jesus Christ, you don't need those weapons anymore. You lay them down, and you're His. 
So I'd ask you this. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus before and you want to right here, right now, would you raise your hands just like this in surrender right now? Anybody bold enough? Anybody strong enough to say no to yourself and raise your hands? Awesome. Awesome. That's cool. That's cool. That's cool. Just keep them up. It's awesome. Got a couple guys in the back. Anybody else? That's cool. Thanks, young man. That's awesome. You too. Let's bow our heads. God, before we pray, for those of you in this room who surrendered before, but you've been holding on maybe to something, you just let's join these other guys. If you want to put your hands up tonight and surrender, I'm, I'm going to keep mine up. And as I pray, you want to put your hands in the air to even just surrender. Let's, let's pray. God, I've been holding on to things too tight. I've been trying to do it on my own. Tonight, I surrender to you, the author and perfecter of my faith. God, I don't have the power. I don't have the love and I don't have the self-discipline. But you do and you did. Thank you for loving me enough to die for me. You're my king and you're my Lord. And I praise you. You alone are worthy of my praise.